I'm Trin Collins, and welcome to the podcast, More Friends. Here, we will be reconnecting with the artists and writers who have come to the island over the past 10 years. Lighthouse Works is a nonprofit dedicated to giving amazing people the time and space to focus on their work. Each month on the podcast, I'll interview a former fellow, diving deeply into who they are and the themes they keep returning to in their work. We aim to share with you our friends, these lovely and marvelous thinkers and makers who we've met over the years. After or during the episode, make sure to visit our website, lighthouseworks.us, for more content, including images or links to some of the topics we cover. So let's get started. Holy smokes! I got to meet Alana Clark for the first time, albeit virtually, and it was so wonderful. We talked about the power of curiosity, the importance of practicing discomfort, and the newer work in her upcoming show at Gallery Thomas Sander. Tune in to hear us discuss her work and dissect the pitfalls of humanity. So I'm just going to start out. And my first question is, this idea of curiosity feels so strong in your work and just this like place where everything seems to start. And I'm wondering, when did you realize that was fundamental for you? Because I also think there's got to be a lot of pushback for that, right? Like people don't like when people sort of pick at the threads that are hanging off of something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's such a, a lovely, I think, way to phrase it, like picking at the threads to unravel the structure. I think for me, this idea of curiosity has always been present in my work. And I think whether or not I was able to articulate that or kind of able to recognize that at first, I think kind of under the surface, that was always an aspect of my practice. And I think that became more conscious as I started to expand my practice from just photography to a more interdisciplinary way of working. And I think as an artist, you have to be really open to the world and open to the idea that many things that we experience or the kind of rituals that we inherit, that just because it's there doesn't mean it is right or that it is valid or that it is as stable as it may seem. And so that kind of craving to just constantly question everything that is around me. Did you ever get in trouble? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think in grad school, yeah, a lot in terms of like censorship. Interesting, yeah. Because I was making these, what I would call challenging video and performance works and I think other people would call provocative which is such for me a silly word and such a reductive word to say that you you know something just makes you feel uncomfortable or to kind of compartmentalize something and reduce it and kind of place it back on the maker instead of you as the viewer kind of either seeing yourself reflected or or seeing yourself implicated and being 
open to right that kind of destabilization. So yeah. <laughs> Is there an example like because I'm so curious how maybe a graduate school which I would feel like would be like, "Oh, I understand that artists are going to make just anything." Like really, it's just anything and anything goes. Yeah, I think that it it mostly came up so I I went to graduate school at Micah and we would often have like kind of end of semester exhibitions that were open to the public and displayed there's like a first floor in a basement gallery and so it was mostly those instances when work was going to be shared with a larger audience that is not the cul-de-sac of the art world or, or the university where there's just lots of conversations on, oh, we need to put up warnings or can we put this in a corner so that people aren't, you know. <laughs> can we hide the work <laughs> under yeah. a cloth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I think it was kind of mostly things like that. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean... Is that something that happens in your like adult life now, like as a person who's represented? No, I mean, because even I'm an educator now and I get it, (laughs) I guess. Right. And, you know, what actually that just shows, it shows the limitations of an institution or any particular institution. Right. That the work is really rubbing up against those boundaries and those systems. But I think that the art world at large, outside of like an educational institution like that, that hasn't come up at all. And actually it's funnily enough, which I think that's a word. Um, <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> My first institutional exhibition which will focus on all of that like early video and performance work will be at Bennington College. Oh when is that? So it'll be September of 2022 but like the the curator I'm I'm working with there I mean she's all about it which is so beautiful and wonderful. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting and again right it's just different institutions right and they're kind of the expectations of work that should be made but you know of course this will be at a school at a college in rural vermont you know uh so it's kind of it's all just very funny but (laughs) do you think it's also that times have changed people's access to content has sort of made them for better and probably worse like (laughs) less reactive to intense material Sure, I get, but I feel like, you know, have the times changed that much in terms of that type of material? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. They're still censoring, what, nipples on Instagram, so. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's it's not new. (laughs) And part of me also sarcastically thinks it's like, oh, because, you know, now I'm in, right, this kind of larger art world and my work is being accepted and respected. And so, whereas when I was a student, you're not really respected in that way. (laughs) 
and people still want to kind of control your vision and the power imbalance is so great right so it's like you have to just all right well whatever (laughs) (laughs) so you're represented by thomas zander Mm -hmm. and i'm curious and this is just like my own curiosity when that happened did it change a lot for you like I feel like as an artist, so much of what we spend time on is like, we're pumping ourselves up. You know, it's like, we're worth it. You know, I can do this. And am I crazy? Maybe. And so I feel like, what was it like for someone else to be like, no, we're in? The past two years have been so incredibly transformative in so many ways that are incredible and also disastrous, right, for us as a a species. (laughs) (laughs) But so how I was introduced to some of the people at the gallery was while I was in residence at a residency called Next Haven, founded by Titus Kafar. I want to know so much about that residency. Honestly, like top residencies of my lifetime, Lighthouse Works, no joke, uh, Skowhegan and Next Haven. I think every single artist should try to get into those residencies. Yes. Because they're so incredibly transformative and for very different reasons. So, we'll, yeah. Okay, we'll get back. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about Next Haven because I have tons of questions. Yeah, so you got hooked up through there. Yeah. And so the wonderful, amazing... I guess I'll call him gallery or artist liaison, but he does so many things. Felix, I think, was introduced to my practice through, I think, coming there to visit. And I started Next Time in in January 2020. We shut our doors late February, March. And, you know, of course, none of us were expecting things to unfold in this way or go through these experiences. But... During So it was like several months of just intense kind of quiet. And I was at the infancy of some of the work that I'm making now with this material hair bonding glue. But I had the opportunity to just be quiet and present in that space without any external factors, without anyone's voice in, you know, in my head. And that really gave me the time to just think and experiment and feel free in that space without any judgment, without any expectations and just do, just make, just feel. And so then it was as we slowly reopened and reemerged back into the world, we had like open studios and that really introduced me to a lot of people in the art world, like curators and collectors. The way in which the work was being received was quite incredible because I think you use this phrase of like, am I crazy? Yeah, I constantly, because you don't know. I'm like, I, I might be insane, but this feels really good. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just going to do it. This is my work. This is the work. This is what I'm interested in. You know, through all of those interactions, people were really moved by the work. And that was so incredibly powerful for me to 
open my doors again, allow people to see what I've been doing and for them to really embrace it in ways that I couldn't imagine. And just the conversations that I I was having around my work was so incredible. And so then at the time that I was approached by the team at Thomas Sander, so, you know, I had already like gotten, I think, positive reception on, on this work and I was feeling a bit more kind of empowered about just overall my artistic vision and my and the interdisciplinary nature of my practice. But then it's always like incredible for <laughs> such a institution that has been around for decades for them to be like, wow, we're really interested in this work too. And we want to go on this really long journey together and continue to elevate my work and, and my voice and legacy as an artist. Um, Is that just like a huge relief? Yes, but it's also very stressful. I'm because... sure there's lots of pressure where it's like, and now you must perform. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like dozens of other people are now instantly invested in me. <laughs> totally. And all their time, energy, and efforts. And also to get, which is so insane, to get representation by two amazing and prominent galleries in the same year, because now I'm, I'm working with Kavi Gupta in Chicago. And so, yeah, it's kind of insane and so unexpected and so really lovely because, you know, it's that idea of feeling respected in my field. Yeah. Yeah. And also the admiration from other artists, many of which I admired. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like that to me is like, oh, wow, you who I have read about your work in books. I've seen it in every museum and in galleries. And now you know my work and you also think that it is good and interesting and compelling. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Thank Um, you. And thank you for sharing the images of the work for the upcoming show in February. Yes, yes. Thank you. When is the ship date on that? (laughs) 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 So, yeah, all the pieces have to go to Cologne. I'm maybe I'm halfway done uh, <laughs> with the work, so maybe January. I don't. Things are also just so crazy to ship things internationally. There's so many delays. Oh my gosh! So I will make sure to do my part, and <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest is their and then problem. the rest, yeah, is up to the universe and the global import export. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> maybe they just need to like put it on an airplane and not a ship. I don't know. It got, yeah, well, someone's going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions about that specific work. So with the hair bonding glue, it seems like it's been a number of years that you've been experimenting with it. And were you working on that? Has it been like four years? No, two years? So actually, the material first entered my practice through like a video performance work that I did in grad school. So that was like 2013, 2012, 2013. But I had not 
worked with it since that kind of first introduction. And I revisited the material in 2020. But it had been a material that I was thinking about for a really long time. So it never kind of left my mind, but I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. So I kind of put it to the side and continued to make work, the performance-based work, video, photography, and then started working with Cocoa Butter, say in like 2016, and also kind of went through a similar process. So it was actually really working with the, the Cocoa Butter and that as an organic material that gave me the foundation for how I may want to approach this other material that has kind of like similar properties, right? It's like utilitarian, it has a really specific purpose in my life and that of many other people that are in community with me. And both materials having to do with like caring for the body and with an understanding that the body is going to be viewed and consumed in the world. So it's this kind of preparing the body to be viewed. That's what, you know, both of these two materials kind of deal with. And so it was the really kind of experimental way that I was working with cocoa butter that then when I uh, got to Next Haven and was kind of met with this huge studio (laughs) and, you know, all of the resources that any artist could ask for that I, I really was able to kind of take the time. And it was really that experimentation period. Did you just dump it on the floor? Like literally? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And the other actually interesting thing for me about working with this material. And when I first started, I would drive to literally just like every beauty supply store in like a 10, 15 mile radius. They were like, are you okay? Are you sure you need this? I know. And then there was like one particular one that was like, okay, they have good prices. They, have, they, they always have like a lot. Um, and they were just like, well, what do you use So it became this kind of other thing that was quite interesting that me having to explain, well, I think I'm making paintings. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> oh my God. Every artist has that story where they're like trying yeah. to explain to some welder that they're making this shape that the welder's like, but I don't make that shape. It's like, yeah. no, but I need you to for yeah. no yeah. reason yeah. at all. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So that became a really lovely part of the process of the work. But yeah, so I would just collect as many bottles as I could. And then, yeah, literally just pouring it on surfaces in thin and thick and in containers and just really observing what happened and how I could manipulate the material. And so it was really just through that process of just diving into the unknown and just being open to assessing whatever happened kind of got me here. And then it was also like not being afraid to make mistakes or not thinking of anything that I was making at the time that were these like early iterations of the work 
thinking of them as too precious to, you know, rip or just like change in any way. But just going through that process really helped me understand the material on a deeper level and begin this process of like defamiliarization through quantity and shifting it like aesthetically and it's probably also just exposure like you're having exposure therapy you're like (laughs) so much of it you're probably using that at some point it just is like it's clay or something I mean I'm curious about the material of it I've never seen any in person and they Mm -hmm. almost look like like melting tires kind of like they have this industrial feel to them yeah yeah because it's a similar or same material as tires. Or it's rubber latex. So it's, it's rubber um, with a black dye. And how thick are they? Like, are they like, I'd imagine they're like maybe a little floppy. Yeah. So it's still, even after it's completely cured, the material still remains malleable. So it doesn't like harden. So really thinking of it in a way, kind of like a rubber tire, right? If you were to like, cut it in half or cut it lengthwise or widthwise like you would be able to it, it would still have a flexibility to it so they're not fragile no they're rough and tough and tumble and <laughs> so i you, treat them so, <laughs> in that so way. to send them to cologne you just roll them up <laughs> no so actually they i know right <laughs> Because actually when they're pleated, because the material will adhere to itself on the back. So when they're pleated, I'm like sticking it to itself on the back. And then, so again, this was also another kind of trial and error thing. Because in like early iterations of the work, I was kind of like, all right, I don't know. I I don't know how to get this up. So I'm just going to screw it directly into the wall. (laughs) And that worked, but it would rip. Because they're so heavy. Really? Um, yeah, like they're real. like it's like a body. So like over time, like maybe it would take like a month, but like wherever that kind of one pressure point was, it would kind of rip because it's so heavy. It would be so interesting on the um, materials list if you had the poundage of each one. Because I don't get that through the images. Yeah, I don't yeah. see how heavy it is. But now that you said it, I'm like, oh, that's such a part of seeing it. You yeah. Know, it's like, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the physicality of an object and really informs the way in which you receive it and interpret it. So then through that observation of, all right, well, this isn't going to cut it. Like there needs to be something else. And I had a consultation with one of the founders of Next Haven, who's like an amazing, amazing sculptor. Like we really talked things through and really thought about like, okay, what is this material made out of? And that it being rubber. And so there were actually three discoveries. So one, I started to embed this netting, which is actually like window screen mesh that you would use in your homes. And that works actually conceptually as well, because if you're making like a wig or extensions, you would adhere like each individual hair follicle to a net and a mesh material. So that actually became another really important part of the work and served the purpose of strengthening the piece overall. 
so that it's resistant to ripping. And then I started using a solid backing, like a wooden backing, where the work is screwed through the front into that wooden backing. So now it's very easy to hang and move. And also the pleats stay kind of frozen. Is it like a cleat? So you could just like mm -hmm. sort of tuck it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a sheet of plywood, basically, that's cut to the shape or the profile of the work, each work, and then metal cleats on the back to hang it. And so even though it's also kind of really heavy, it does have this lightness because the shapes and the gestures are in a way kind of appear to be defying gravity. And then the third thing that then came up was the surface of the material. Because it's rubber and it's kind of still porous, over time, the rubber dries out, right? So very much like our skin that needs to be moisturized. And so I then discovered a latex moisturizer, which actually I have. It's just so funny. Like sometimes things just come into play but in ways that you just like did not know would happen. And so in my search for latex polisher, I came upon this product that I use to polish the works. It's called Black Beauty, which I'm just like, wow. What is this character? (laughs) I know. Well, so it's used to polish like leather bondage clothing. (laughs) Okay, I'm getting it now. Right. There's a bondage guy on the bottle. Yes, (laughs) yes. So is that something that like if someone were to buy this work, you're like, okay, once a year, you're going to have to lather it up. Yeah, basically. So I, you know, when someone acquires a piece, they get instructions of care. And so I have not, you know, there's some pieces that have have been in here for years uh, since I've started working and they've only ever had to be polished once because it really like gets into the pores. But I think that over very long periods of time to like maintain that luster, then the skins of the object have to be cared for. That's amazing. And so it's also like really intimate process of really just like rubbing every single piece of the work and like getting into every crease and crevice. It's like they have to pay attention to it and almost reenact what you are doing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. The gestures on the surface of the work are all created with my body. So it's also kind of like this transferal of that feeling or that energy, right? This knot that you see here, now you are touching it, getting in the grooves. And right, that's the visual representation of the impression of my hand grabbing and squeezing that part of the work, you know? So for me, that is really very interesting. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm Thank you for telling me that. When I was looking at the work, I was really overcome with their reference to painting, actually. And this is probably just because I'm a painting nerd and that's what I'm thinking <laughs> about. But um, the thing about it is that they look like these drapery studies. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I, you know, in the history of painting, it's like, oh my God, drapery and all these Renaissance paintings and like the meaning of drapery. So I kind of spent some time <laughs> looking at that the other day and this idea that everybody like pays attention to Mary's outfit. There's this um, Northern Renaissance painter, um, Roger Vanderweiden. There are a couple of paintings where Mary's wearing this insanely pleated outfit or whatever. And so I was reading about it in this article and these art historians were like, oh, it's like, quote, the drapery becomes a way to give shape to a feeling, a grief without end. And I was like, whoa, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, it just unlocked something in my brain where I was like, oh, you know, the drapery gesture. It's so powerful. Just even just like fabric is powerful. Humans need it or whatever. But also this idea of grief without end. And I'd been doing lots of listening to some of your interviews and how trauma is a big part of what you're thinking about. And so I just thought like, oh, it felt right where I was like, these pieces could feel that way. That's a really interesting kind of quote and kind of perspective that is, yes, definitely a part of the work. But then I'm also thinking through the re-articulation and defamiliarization of this material, for me, that creates a kind of severance from the traumatic origins of this material and, and how it operates in the world traditionally. And so that I'm removing it so far away from its like utilitarian purpose that for me, it becomes something completely new. And I think it's the same thing, right? I think whether or not you're familiar with this material or not, knowing what it is, what its purpose in the world, and then seeing it in its new articulation, it seems so completely far removed. And that for me is actually really interesting because ultimately what I want this work to do and all of the work that I create that, so yes, this idea of traumas that yes, are never ending trauma and these inherited experiences. So very much thinking about right the lineages that have been passed down to me and that I was kind of born into, right? Because we're all born into something and the ways in which we can exist in the world are very linked to what we look like, but none of us choose to <laughs> be born any way, right? It's just completely random. But we are still asked to and forced to contend with whatever realities that we are brought into. But I think that what I hope to do, 
and what I crave to do for myself and for my body and for these works and for all of the people who I am in community with is to transcend those traumas and those kind of very reductive ways of understanding our humanity. So I think that definitely your reading that is absolutely present with the addition of thinking about a future. For me, I'm thinking about a future that's far more expansive than the present that we currently exist in. And I think that's really reflected in how much we are all kind of collectively questioning the culture that we are finding ourselves in and hoping and wishing and enacting something more. You talk a lot about healing and sort of like transforming and reshaping this material and defamiliarizing it is a form of healing in that way. I think that's really so interesting. And I, some of your other work, you've talked about that too. Like the performance work is this way of sort of dealing with your body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you said at one point that you feed your obsession with the idea of being unbound, being more than a body but it's like you got to go through the body to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I think it's a lonely road because we had this opening artist talks last night and one of the readers was reading something and I the only thing I heard was we are alone in our bodies. Mm. And I thought <laughs> yeah. Shit, we really are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do a lot of thinking about trauma and especially I'm a new parent I have a two-year-old mm. <laughs> talk about and inherit like what are they gonna inherit <laughs> I don't know but you I'm know? I'm worried about it I'm really worried about it so <laughs> I spend a lot yeah. of time thinking about this because <laughs> I have my baggage that I've been mm-hmm. trying to like deal with and then you're handed this baby that's like fresh and new and you're like oh yeah. shit I need to figure out how to not hand down this baggage. (laughs) And there are a lot of days where I figure like, maybe it's insurmountable. And I watch her figure out the world. And it's a little bit depressing sometimes where I'm like, (laughs) oh, man, like, these are the cultural rules. And like, I can't even save you from that. Yeah, it's this weird thing where I think it's hard to figure out healing something where you're using the tool to heal it. This is sort of where I'm kind of curious about where we have this damage and as humans, humanity, and how do you use this damage tool to fix the damage tool? It's just, it's, it's, um, (laughs) it's a pickle. I don't know. But art seems like the place because it holds contradictions really well. Yes. This is like a really interesting conversation because I was asking myself that question as well while kind of making these works or even while using the cocoa butter because specifically with these bonding glue works, I was finding so much joy in the making. And that made me feel really scared and really destabilized me because I was like, oh, no, it it has to stay in this, like, dark place, right? Because that's what I'm 
trying to communicate, I think, but then for my like spirit and my body, it wasn't that. It was very joyful. It was very freeing. It was very playful. And so then I really had to think deeply about what that meant. And then kind of ultimately, I, I just decided that, well, yes, why, why would I tamp down or disregard this feeling of freedom? Right. Is that not what I want? Is that not what I hope for? And so I let that then just be the like guiding energy for how I approach the works. And so what we we're talking about before of this like idea of curiosity, I, I remained curious and open to the material and I let whatever needed to unfold, unfold and felt okay with that uncertainty. And so that then became really powerful. And so again, that really shifting, shifting it away, breaking it away from those origins to and, let yeah. it be. Yeah. And it seems like you trusted your deep intuition. Like yeah, there was some time you were, yeah, you were talking <laughs> in some interview <laughs> where you said you wanted to get, strip all that cultural bullshit off, you know, and mm -hmm. find out like what's the real core of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that so hard and so admirable, but like, um, but also it's not, I don't think, will I ever even get there? I don't know. I right? don't know because, because it's like, there's no, it's all also, in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is like, you know, the same thing that, really affects these conversations about like equity and virtue signaling, right? Like saying all the right things, doing all the right things, but it's no one act or one action that can actually fix or solve the complexity of the issues that we are dealing with. This is a, a lifetime of traumas and dysfunction that anyone living has inherited, right? No one living created it, but we all have a role to play in its maintenance. And so it is so much internal psychic body work that we all have to do on ourselves. And it's like, so you do one thing one day and you go to sleep. Well, there's so much more work to be done the next day. Right? <laughs> this is true. It is a never ending mound of work. Yeah. But we have to start somewhere. And and just because we can't see the end of it. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't mean, mean. Yeah. Yeah. That the accumulation of these seemingly unimportant gestures won't have a profound effect on this future Right. Yeah. I was really moved by your piece, An Incomplete Recollection of Memories. It's mm. the um the postcard the piece. Yes. Yeah. It felt a little bit like that healing attempt where you're trying to connect with that mm -hmm. self before mm -hmm. the world said, no, you, you got to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, again, that, that future, our imaginations how can we be more expansive? How can we 
imagine ourselves in a space that is far more expansive. So that we, we have to really be okay with destabilizing our, our present. Discomfort, right? Yeah. You talk yeah. about discomfort a lot. And I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's something in our contemporary society that we've really pushed away from where we're like, no discomfort. Every chair is super comfortable. Like, <laughs> you know, like everything is aimed towards no feeling. Yeah. You know, and I just, I think people are out of the habit. They don't practice discomfort enough. That idea of practice, because I think that's such a beautiful word in terms of like thinking about all of these social ills that we continue to enact. It's about practicing being something more. It's an attempt to get to something else, get to a different place. So no one thing that you do is going to solve it, but we're practicing here. <laughs> yeah, like, and practicing and also means that you're going to like make a wrong yes, note and be like, yes, ooh, that, yes. we got to turn around. Yeah, we'll fail. And that is okay. Just try again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just like... yeah. Do you feel like you have to tell your students that all the time? I think that the way that our educational system is set up, it's, just about being perfect and being right. It's not about trying something or questioning something or being curious. I've taught at so many different institutions. I think it's just been stomped out of children. This To be curious is not a valued trait. Well, curiosity uh, killed the cat, don't you know? (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just about taking in and regurgitating information, and that's it. And also thinking about this very traditional idea of an authority structure in an educational institution where it's like, oh, the teacher is the God, the all-knowing being, and you are an empty vessel just waiting to be filled with whatever I give you. Right. So many problems there because then so many as like an artist, an adult artist, you have to work to unplug those Mm -hmm. things that got plugged in. You're sort of like, oh, now I see why I think that way, because Professor Hoosie, what's it said, (laughs) you know, yeah. And then so, you know, they just often look to you as the well, if I do this, is that right? Or is that right now? It's like, well, especially for art, right? It's it's not. <laughs> Are you someone who grades like everybody gets an A unless you're just not participating? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my partner, he's always like, God, I wouldn't want to be in your class. You're so hard on. <laughs> oh, but I'm like, because I want them to think I, mean, I just it's not about being perfect. It's just open yourself be curious and vulnerable uh, right like and vulnerable yes yes that's yes. not happening a lot these days no no but when it does happen but also i think again like so many of these kids they've no one has ever asked well what do you think or why do you think that right or again this like questioning 
to get them to understand better the way in which they operate, how they are absorbing information, how they are deconstructing information, right? So it's not their fault because they've never been asked to operate in this way. They've just been asked to absorb and regurgitate. You must blow some of these students' brains. They're just (laughs) like, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. This was really, really, really fun. I know. I'm so glad we could talk. Yeah, this is really fun. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And keep in touch via our Instagram at To The Lighthouse Works for any podcast or residency related news. And don't forget to check out all the additional content that accompanies each episode on our website, lighthouseworks.us. I also want to say thank you to all the artists and writers who have come through our program. We are routinely in awe of what you do. I also owe a great big fat thank you to Nate Malinowski and Claudia DeSimone. And I want to say thank you for keeping us afloat. That's all for me for now. See you next time on More Friends.